The richer you get, the harder it is to manage your estate. There's lots of moving parts like portfolio diversity, tax mitigation, asset protection, and estate planning. That's why the ultra wealthy use family offices, and that's where Valerity Wealth comes in for you. Run by a former sovereign wealth fund manager, Valerity Wealth brings institutional level expertise to the high paid professional. Let Valerity quarterback your finances. Book your free consultation at ValerityWealth.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast with the first episode of 2021. Good riddance to 2020. I am looking forward to a very, very uh, fruitful, exciting 2021. I'm looking forward to us having in-person events. I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen, hopefully, in my uh, my uh, opinion. I think this will probably be sometime in the summer, uh, is my guess, when we are actually able to meet in person for a Wealth Formula event. In the meantime, we have so much to look forward to. And, you know, I've said it before, and I do believe this to be the case, I don't think that we're out of the woods in terms of some short-term financial bumps in the road. I think we are. Uh, it's very possible, sure, the next two, three months. But understand, once again, the investments that you make today are not for the next two or three months. They are for the next two, three years, four years, five years, etc. And so for that reason, it is important for us to understand and to act on sort of the long-term vision, okay? And for me, one of those things is, uh, you know, where to start. So I've talked to, uh, you know, I've talked to a number of people who, you know, over the years have, uh, you know, sort of floundered and, um, you know, thought, you know, they've made a bunch of money, they have a bunch of money in the market, and all of a sudden they've come to our paradigm, sort of wealth formula, personal finance paradigm. And they ask me, where should I start? Well, I don't like to give financial advice, but if it's me starting back just after surgical residency, it would be with these products that we have come to know uh, under the umbrella of wealth formula banking. So let me tell you the story. I think I might've told you this once before, but it's worth repeating. When I finished surgical residency, and this was, gosh, you know, 2008, 2009, whatever. So I took a job, and it was with a cosmetic surgery company uh, for a few months before realizing that I really was not employee material. I was really an entrepreneur. Anyway, that's another story altogether. You know, there was a hodgepodge of group of, uh, of surgeons there, the place that I was working. And some of us were younger guys who recently finished training, looking for some experience. There's also, of course, some of the older guys who had failed miserably in private practice and had become the so-called, uh, you know, as they call them in football, right? The journeymen. They were doing work in multiple practices and businesses just to make ends meet. So, you know, it was at that time that I just finished reading Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Quadrant, which, as you know, was a major influence on the trajectory of my life. 
I was finally making some money on my own following several years of, you know, minimum wage indentured servitude as a surgical resident. So I was receptive, you know, to financial advice. I wanted to know what others were doing, who were successful. And I remember one time asking a 60 uh, something year old surgeon, well, you know, what he would have done differently if he could do it all over again. And remember, these guys who were in their 60s who were working there, they they didn't do very well. So they they were the ones who'd made some bad financial decisions. And so I kind of wanted to know, well, you know, what did you do wrong and what should I not do? And so now this guy, again, had really not managed his finances well and was still having to crank it out just to get by. By the way, you know, this is now, again, 2009 or so. He just got crushed by the stock market. So he needed to he needed to work longer and for more years than he thought. So I wasn't really looking for him for, you know, I didn't really care what he did right in his life. And then that, that in that regard, I, I wasn't uh, asking him for advice. I was more interested in what he did wrong because that was equally valuable to me compared to what others might have done right. So when I asked him what, you know, he would have done differently, what kind of decision in hindsight he would have done uh, differently. He said, well, I would have, you know, and without a flinch, he says, I would have bought more permanent life insurance. You know, in fact, he said, quote, in fact, that's all I should have done. Now, okay, again, why would he have said that? Uh, it's, a, it's a complicated question, but I think I know the answer, and we'll get to that later. But at the time, admittedly, I was a little confused by his answer. You see, I didn't even know at that time what permanent life insurance was and it never occurred to me that buying life insurance in any capacity is actually would actually be considered an investment so as it turns out this poor guy made a lot of bad investments throughout his life culminating in 2008 stock market crash wiped him out and his plans to retire all in a flash and i asked him that question in 2009 and the reason uh, that he said that's all he should have bought you know, was the permanent life insurance was, well, guess what? In 2009, when the market went to hell, the only thing he had left was a permanent life insurance policy with cash value that it had grown every year for 35 years. Every year for 35 years, a five, five and a half percent uh, compounding. Uh, that's, he would have been way ahead at that point. Had he just done that? And now listen, I'm not telling you that's what you should do. I'm just telling you a story and this guy's perspective. So, you know, and as this guy was giving me his perspective, another younger guy was, you know, he was listening. And when, you know, when the coast was clear, he came up to me and he said, you know what? Don't listen to that guy at all. He said, buy term and invest the rest. Buy term and invest the difference is what he said. That's what he said. And that's the first time I ever heard that phrase. But apparently that is like sort of a mantra amongst a, a certain uh, type of financial, I guess, blogger or whatever. Well, this guy who told me that was just a year ahead of me, but he, you know, he seemed really confident in what he said. So I listened to him. Uh, my wife at the time was pregnant with her first daughter. Uh, so I asked around, found a guy who was a Northwestern mutual agent that all the doctors seemed to use. And 
Talk about the blind leading the blind, by the way. That is like your classic thing. Like, you know, hey, who'd you go to insurance for? Northwestern Mutual. And then the next guy goes Northwestern Mutual. And then there's no thinking involved whatsoever. And anyway, I did the same, bought some term insurance. Um, I did I did look at the option of permanent life insurance. But frankly, first of all, I had the advice from the young whippersnapper that I thought was smart. And second of all, what I saw from the Northwestern Mutual agent that he was suggesting was, frankly, a complete and utter ripoff. It is the reason that most uh, most people who are against permanent life insurance are against it, because those are the policies they see, okay? The horrible ones. So the idea of life insurance as an investment really didn't come back to me until about five years later, and at that time, I was making quite a bit of money, making seven figures with a couple of businesses cranking. And during this period, I was also in a CEO group uh, called Vistage with another guy who was an advisor to ultra high net worth individuals. And he and I got to be pretty good friends. I trusted him. And he was uh, the first one to explain to me why so many affluent people, rich people, ultra high net worth people bought permanent life insurance products. So why did they buy that stuff if this young whippersnapper and these, you know, characters in this space who like to, you know, pretend that they are sophisticated investors, they all said the same thing, but, you know, buy term and invest the difference. So who is smarter? Those guys, you know, those, uh, those doctors who, you know, did a little extra reading or, the ultra high net worth folks who are making millions of dollars and passing on legacy wealth. That was what the question I had in my mind was. Well, I think you know the answer to that. And as it turned out, the older surgeon who was broke and the younger know-it-all that gave me their contradicting advice were both right. Permanent life insurance was indeed a powerful and reliable investment. And that's why so many ultra high net worth individuals use it. However, the guy who told me to stay away from the permanent stuff was also right because the way most policies are structured in the way he saw it and it was presented to him were an absolute ripoff. It was an example of a pattern I began to recognize. You see, and this is the truth. There are products and investments that most people see, and they are the ones that only the wealthy people know about or qualify for. And once I realized that, I bought my first overfunded whole life insurance policy. But it was unlike the policy that I saw uh, when I bought that first term insurance. I bought this, you know, I bought this policy not as life insurance. I bought it as an investment and as a strategy to augment the rest of my investments. And that uh, that was a big difference. You see, the type of policy I bought was so different than what everyone was talking about with the permanent life insurance that, you know, they frowned upon and and cast, you know, cast aspersions on constantly that I decided I needed to name uh, name this kind of policy, this different kind of policy that most people didn't seem to uh, understand and what wealthy people who are using this stuff did understand. And so I decided to call it something different. I decided to call it wealth formula banking. Okay. That's where the genesis of wealth formula banking is. I call it something different because it is something different. 
okay? Wealth Formula Banking is a wealth creation account more than anything else. It is an account that grows tax-free at a guaranteed compounding rate and has done so since the Civil War, through the Great Depression, multiple bank failures, and recessions. It was also, it's also a wealth magnification machine. So the idea is while your money grows at a compounding rate, you can actually borrow money from the insurance company at a simple interest rate, effectively allowing you to grow your money in two places at the same time. There is an arbitrage there that is critically important to understand. Anyway, any cash flowing investment can be essentially enhanced by simply leveraging cash value and using this arbitrage of simple versus compounding interest to your financial advantage. It's like double dipping your investment capital. And that's really, you know, that that's the way I think about it. When I finally got a policy, all I could think of honestly was why didn't someone tell me about this five years ago? Well, the answer to that is really that most insurance brokers are not going to show you the overstructured stuff because they are not as profitable for the brokers. That's just the truth. They have to be optimized for cash in your pocket. Now, going back to that friend that I was telling you about from the CEO group. Now, what he was talking about was different from uh, this whole wealth formula banking concept that I uh, that I just described. He was talking about a completely different uh, kind of investment strategy that, frankly, you know, this is the one that you see a lot of ultra high net worth folks doing like a lot, you know, like uh, most of the ultra high net worth or family offices uh, that I'm aware of use this technique. It's a different kind of policy because instead of growing at those fixed rates and dividends like whole, like uh, well formula banking, it grew with the index of the S and P 500. So in that concept, the account would give me essentially all the upside to the market, but none of the downside. In other words, you can make money up to a certain percentage, but if the market were to lose money in a given year, you don't lose money. And then on top of that, you use bank leverage to multiply the upside gains. Now, that kind of policy goes by uh, a lot of different names, and uh, the ones for the ultra-high net worth people that, uh, you know, that use it in terms of what's called a life insurance retirement plan uh, they may know it as a premium finance index universal policy. And that was really only uh, at the time that, uh, you know, I heard from my friend about this only available to people making seven figures plus, or it had like a net worth of, you know, 5 million plus. But since then, Rod Zabriskie and Christian Allen and I have, uh, were actually able to identify some variations to that model. Um, you know, what we call velocity plus that can actually be used by anyone making as little as $125,000 per year. Anyway, as you know, I'm a huge supporter of these strategies and given the volatility of stock, the stock market and the potentially systemic risk of ETFs and mutual funds, you know, that the likes of Michael Burry, uh, have identified, I think it's important for everyone to truly understand the impact that these types of policies can make on your future and also to the future of your children. And with the new year here, I think it's important for all of us to start with some basics and ask the question, what's important? What's important? The most important thing in personal finance 
is not to lose money and, in my opinion, to secure the future of your children. So anytime someone comes to me and asks where to start, I tell them to start with wealth formula banking because I wish, I really wish that somebody had told me about it even earlier uh, than I was able to discover all of these concepts. But again, the noise out there against these types of products is constant and it can make you uneasy. I mean, prominent financial uh, bloggers, particularly in the medical space, for some reason, um, you know, in particular, cre- you know, create this sort of plethora of poorly understood comments regarding these types of policies. And all I can say is, I just don't think you understand, man. I just don't think you get it. And that's not a surprise because most doctors don't. Anyway, today uh, we're going to pick apart some of those criticisms and try to give you some perspective with uh, Christian Allard and Rod Zabriskie. Again, in my opinion, Wealth Formula Banking related products like this should be a starting point really for any high net worth financial plans. So it's appropriate, in my opinion, for us to start with this topic in the new year. So make sure to listen to this episode with Rod and Christian when we come back. Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector conservative investing with double-digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com, accesswealthaviation.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, today, my guests and Wealth Formula podcast, I'm sure, are familiar to you by now. They are Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie of Wealth Formula Banking fame. Uh, they uh, can be found uh, uh, at wealthformulabanking.com. Uh, that's uh, that's the site you need to go to if uh, if you're interested in these products. But you know, we're doing this show today because. Uh, gosh, man, oh man, there is an absolute assault on insurance products from various factions of the financial world. You know, the we know about the Susie Ormans, we know about the, you know, Dave Ramsey and all that. But even in uh, various niches, specifically in the doctor world, uh, there seems to be this unusual attack on insurance products that involve investments. 
And I kind of get it. I kind of get it because when I first got out of training, there was this like massive misinformation uh, trail that I kind of walked into uh, when people started talking about uh, investments and life insurance as well. And you heard the people say things like, oh, gosh, no, never consider permanent life insurance. You you do term and you invest the difference and all this. And so I thought that that was for real. But then I, I looked around when I started making real money, not just like, sorry, but, you know, doctor money. Um, and it looked like everybody who was high net worth was using these products. And I was like, what the heck? So that's when I did a deeper dive and I started to figure out why. Okay, so I understand it, but there's still so much, oh, there's so much noise out there on the opposition creating this sort of sense that somehow these products are nefarious and so on. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy. So rather than, you know, just sit there and listen in quiet desperation the way we have been, uh, I offered Christian and Rod an opportunity to come on and you know, refute, you know, a specific blog by a specific well-known blogger. We won't talk about names, but I think it's a good opportunity uh, for us to do that because I think a lot of this kind of same stuff keeps coming back again and again and again. So with that, Christian and Rod, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Buck. Thanks for having us. Man, we're excited to be here. Uh, we like insurance, so this is a topic we're happy to we're happy to discuss. I like it too. To I like it too. Well, okay, so you know we've been talking about this for a while because these these uh, you know, almost feel like these are kind of like directed at us or something like that. I don't know. It's weird, it's <laughs> and they weird. just keep coming back, right? Like yeah. every six months, or they just keep coming back. They're very popular. I gotta say. I know it's it's very strange because it's there's a very inten- there's an intensity about this which I don't quite understand but let's get into it right okay. because there's this article that basically this blogger wrote and there was 10 points of why uh you know why basically I don't, I don't remember what the name of the article was but that you shouldn't mix insurance with investing and that that was effectively it and we are obviously on the opposite side of the fence there where we believe that it makes a beautiful combination, and we're not alone in this because the the wealthiest people in the world are doing the same. So, let's start with this. You know, there's this is almost like a David Letterman top ten list, uh, <laughs> but on this, it starts with number one, and this one cracks me up a little bit. But he says the doctors get fooled in this because of lack of financial sophistication. He says, "quote Doctors aren't exactly in the same category as accountants." When it comes to the financial <laughs> world, okay. So let me just say, first of all, uh, that might that, be the first problem. Yeah, yeah, that would be problem <laughs> number one. When you believe uh, that your accountant is the one who is the sophisticated investor that you should be using as the metric by which you measure the sophistication into the financial world, frankly, few accountants make that much money and. Accountants know nothing about investing. But anyway, I'm going to let you go. Lack of financial sophistication. Christian Rod, what do you say to that? Okay, so I have a lot to say to that, Buck. So the first (laughs) thing is, is it's just the opposite, right? Like that's the great irony here is lack of financial sophistication is why people get sold products that aren't good, 
right? So there might be something to that. But when you talk about the financial sophistication, there's this really interesting trend that people, as they become more prolific as investors, they actually start to see the value of it. So what's happening is, is this first point, you can basically flip it on your head. And let me just say this, like one of the things that's challenging about an article like this is he's putting a really broad, he's just putting a, a, a very broad umbrella over everything and maybe not suggesting and letting people know that these things are can be tailored dramatically in different ways, right? Rod, so I don't think he knows. Put- I, he can't know. He can't know how <laughs> these things are structured if he's writing this article. So, so that's go ahead though. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I and I think based on this and some other other articles I've read about, he actually had one specifically about infinite banking as well. And I think he gets it to to about eighty percent, but then there's just like this gap that's missing. Right. And so what ends up happening is you paint this broad brush and you find yourself stating things that are just completely and totally inaccurate um, as it relates to the way that we do it. So almost everything in this list is going to be opposite to the way that we do it. He's going to talk about things like losing liquidity and we're going to be taught. And we obviously keep hitting on things like how incredible the liquidity is and that you can invest with it. Now, so a couple things. He he may not understand how uh, wealth formula banking works to its full extent. I would say probably doesn't, right? Um, and then in addition to that is undervaluing a lot of the tools that come with it, specifically as it relates to high-income earners uh, who are in a high-tax bracket and who eventually could create um, a high net worth. So there's a couple of things. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the next because there's 10 of them. The next one. Well, okay, so mistaking an insurance salesman, that would be you guys, right? Uh, for a qualified <laughs> investment advisor. Well, let me, let me, let me just uh, start out with this question for you. Uh, what requirements uh, does a qualified investment advisor have? It's basically a Series 65, right? Yep, that's correct. So just for, so just for clarity, Series 65. Um, so my brother, uh, who is a pretty uh, you know, he, he used to run one of the sovereign wealth funds in the Middle East. He's a smart guy. He used to work in, and, and before that yeah. he was at JP Morgan in New York and London, leverage buyouts. Um, but when he first started out and they were a bunch of bankers together and they all had to take the series 65, uh, they had this pool where they would, um, they would see who could get closest to failing the series 65 without failing. So I think the score was 72. And so these guys would sit there and try not to do really well. They had like literally a pool of money betting. So they were trying to hit 72 on the nose. Okay. So apparently if you get this series 65 done, you were, you know, which I think he studied for, for about three weeks. Apparently that's enough that makes you know everything about everything. But anyway, go ahead. You uh, you know, obviously I've got my opinions here, but I want this is more about you. Tut- yeah, sure. I'm I'm going to hit on this and Rod can hit on it too, but but the first thing is this is a problem in the financial industry as a whole, right? There the issue is more is less about someone's qualification as it relates to like 
the credentials that they got from licensing. Cause the, the bar for licensing across the board is really low, right? right. Whether you pass the 65 to 70, when I passed the securities tests, I suddenly didn't know more than I did before that. Right. So what's interesting here is we're putting all this stock in things like the series 65, the, uh, uh, health and life insurance license takes about the same time from a study perspective as the series 65. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. You shouldn't be you, when you're evaluating who to work with and whether to work with someone, you want to be looking at things beyond just their licensing and credibility. You want to be looking at the track record, right? You want to hear what people say about them. That's why we've done, you know, that's why we spent so much time, to, you know, getting client testimonials, video testimonials, things that where people can see that we have a track record of doing it right for a long period of time. If you're relying on licensing as the source for wisdom about whether to work with someone or not, you're just headed down the wrong direction. It's really about who they are. Yeah, and not only that, but let's let's be real here, okay? Are you saying then that investment advisors don't get paid based on you investing? No. Right. These are all financial professionals. Guess what? When you are investing in um when you're investing in our syndications and I'm a general partner on there, I'm benefiting from that. That doesn't mean that you should be you should be saying that you're, you know, you, that that somehow you, I don't, I'm, I don't have your best interests. Absolutely, I do. Because if you don't do well, you're not going to come back and invest in one of my, you know, opportunities. That's a really important thing for me, right? So yeah, it's, th- it's absolute nonsense to look and say somebody's going to benefit from your investment, your participation, and therefore it can't be good. That is the stupidest freaking thing I have ever heard. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, well, and and that goes back to another level of this problem, and that is that when he's talking about investing, he's talking about a very, very small definition of investing, right? Right. Because he gets into, you know, stockbrokers and mutual funds and things like that. Well, let me ask you this, Buck. Is he leaving some things out if he's only talking about the stock market? Well, he's not, he's not touching anything that I invest in personally. <laughs> right. And, I, and I'll right. put, and I, I will guarantee you, I'll put my balance sheet up against his any day. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's, yeah. uh, maybe All right. that helps, you know, de- define what we're going to talk about, you know, down the road, but that, uh, next one's funny. I think it's a really yeah. good point, right? But the, the reality is, is that everybody gets paid. Um, and, and from my perspective, I want people that I work with to get paid. Um, and I'm comfortable with that. And I think what happens is the the reason that our relationship works out so well is because generally people who are builders, they understand the value of getting valuable advice, right? It's the same thing when you go to someone like Tom Wheelwright, you go to Tom because even though he costs some money, he's going to save you and provide a whole lot more value than he costs. And so again, it's just understanding the value proposition. And And I would say, just make sure you know, you're going to people for their track record, not because they have a license. And just to be clear, one more thing that you can pad commissions and, and stuff like that. But what Rod and Christian are known for, one of the reasons why I've, you know, really aligned myself with them is really maximizing these policies to the point where they can't be any more, uh, they can't be the, any more uh, slim on the commission side, frankly. Um, okay, next question. Uh the belief that doctors need to invest differently than everyone else. 
This is a crazy, crazy statement. And I quote, 95% of what we need to do financially is no different from any other middle class investor. Oh my God. If you believe that you are a sophisticated investor because your investments look like 95% of the middle class, are you crazy? Are you're not sophisticated? Who I mean, who's using these insurance products? Well, you okay. know, these these insurance products are they high net worth people, not the middle class, the life insurance retirement plans. See, you you can invest like the high net worth individuals, the wealthiest people in the world, or you can invest like the middle class. That's your choice. Anyway, what's your take yeah. on this? Look, well, get this. Get this. I'm going to throw out a stat rod and then I'll let you take it away. Yeah. But get this. Um, according to the Meds, the Medscape income report, they suggest that less than 50% of all physicians have a net worth over a million dollars. That's 50 per, less than 50% of all these people who are, you know, making, I think they said an average of 237 for a general practitioner and a hundred more if you're, a, if you're a specialist. But the point here is that there's a lot of physicians out there following the advice of 95% of what the world's doing and they're getting the same results, right? They're getting the results that are leaving America broke by relying on things that just haven't been working and they just keep doing it and doing it. So these shouldn't look any different than the middle class. Anyway, uh, number four. They won't if that's what they keep following. No, that's man. right. You'll end up in the middle class. And I don't think you want to do that. I really don't. Um, the shrinking middle class, by the way. So the next yeah. one, belief that insurance products provide asset protection benefits not available in other ways. I would say this. I don't think that anyone here uh, has ever said that these asset pro- that asset protection that there's not ways to provide asset protection that don't involve insurance. So I don't know why there's this idea that, you know, anybody's claiming that they're not available in any other ways. I think the way we have positioned it, you guys have talked about it in, in terms of it's, it's a way it's an, an additional benefit. It's not, you know, a reason, right? I mean, it, that that's that's kind of the way I would look at it. I don't think having an additional benefit of asset protection is a bad thing, but I don't think anybody's doing this because <laughs> of that. But anyway, go on. I think that's I think that's completely true. And and when we talk to people about it, it is on the list of benefits and features, right? Um, and it is a cool one, right? The fact that you can put money in there and in a lot of states, it's going to be completely protected. Like that's a real value. If it's not that way, we'll also show how to do it regardless of whether your state has those kind of benefits associated with them. But like you're saying, Buck, that's not the reason to do it. It's not the reason to jump into them, but it sure as heck is a nice feature and benefit that comes with most states. And along that line, belief that insurance products provide estate planning benefits not available in other ways. Now, in this one, I think he's right. If you are in the middle class and you're, you know, if that's the money you got, but if you're high net worth and some of our investors in our group are really ultra high net worth, you know, they're, they're making many 20, of them, yeah, 20, sure. 30, 40, 50 million dollar net worths. And in those situations, I'm sorry, but there is a lot of things you can do that are pretty unique to insurance. I mean, that's just a fact. You want to talk about that? Yeah. For, and this one is I, the only thing I can assume is just ignorance. He doesn't know. Uh, again, he doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Because estate planning and talk to any estate planning attorney and take away life insurance from, from their planning. 
and ask them if that changes the way that they plan. Right? Give, give us give us an example of something because you know there's just so much out there. But just just yeah, talk well, a little bit. About it. Okay, so so two primary things, right? Number one is estate tax planning. What better way to plan for estate taxes than to, to create a situation where where you have a lump sum of cash that comes into the picture when that happens. And, and again, in, in the, in the uh, course of doing the regular estate planning, you put that inside of especially a, a an islet an irrevocable trust. And it, uh, it, now we create a lump sum of money that, that lands outside of the estate and the heirs are able to use that to pay the estate taxes. So that's one really easy. That's the low hanging fruit. Right. But then you think about uh other like liquidity that's needed at the time of, of the transfer in the state. Right. So recently we've been working with somebody who, um, who farms, right. And wants to continue to build their, their kind of farming empire. And uh, when, when they pass and they're going to pass all that, that land and other hard assets to the next generation, liquidity, having some level of liquidity is going to be enormously important for them in their estate tax planning or the estate planning, excuse me. And so, so again, again, the idea that life insurance doesn't have a role inside of estate planning that, that you can't get in other ways is, is just. It's nonsensical and it's completely unsophisticated. I'm sorry. It just is. Um, All right. And and can I just point out one really quick thing? He mentions in there that the estate tax moves, it's up at 23 million, but it's been down. Like, here's the reality. Why would you go in planning? Like, like, let's not go in planning and assuming that the that it's always going to be as high as it is today or going to go higher. Well, that's a possibility, but the it's going to be lower. Move to everybody make, knows it's going to be lower. It's probably going to be lower next it. year. And, right. and ask your so kids. Like, let's ask your kids. Would you rather have the the uh, assets that I can build inside of again the four hundred one k or whatever, or would you like to have uh, income tax free? money that passes to you, it's completely liquid. You can do whatever you need to at the time, you know, when, when you're settling the estate. It's giving me a headache guys. Oh. All right. <laughs> Next one. Belief that insurance products provide tax benefits, not available in other ways. Well, I'm not sure who said that. I mean, I know there, there are tax benefits and tax benefits. Well, um, frankly, when it comes to tax benefits, we aren't even going to really acknowledge the idea that most people have strategies like ours in in our area. Um, but you know, I mean, insurance is just one more benefit. And again, it goes back to the idea that there is tax advantages to this and tax advantage growth, et cetera. But it's not. I I don't know why that's a bad thing. I don't know. Anyway, go on. Yeah. So here, here's, here's a statement that he makes on this one. He says the main problem with investing in insurance is you have to quit doing stuff that keeps you from getting insurance at a decent rate. And it, here's a, here's a conversation that we have every day. And that is that we, the irony of what we do with wealth forming the banking, for example, is that we don't pick life insurance because of the sake of the insurance. We pick it for the other benefits that you get. Right. And then the insurance benefit is something that comes along as an, an added benefit. So, uh, okay. So if he's saying, okay, go, go get a municipal bond because of the tax benefits you get there, Buck, would you rather have a municipal bond? Would you rather have wealth, a wealth forming the banking policy? Right. Yeah. That's not hard. I, I mean, again, it, it, not that the tax benefits are like, like maybe unique a, in every a, aspect, 
Maybe right. a, a municipal bond from Detroit or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Yeah, I mean, so anyway, it's so he's, he gives examples. You know, c- can you get? Is there another place where I can put after-tax dollars into the to the place? It grows tax-deferred and comes out tax-free. Yes. Does that it's exist? Called a yes. Roth IRA, right? right? We compare, like, we use the comparison all the time. Yeah. Like you're saying, so, it's not that it has every benefit of every, but it does, as a grouping, have a very unique grouping of benefits that's incredibly impactful for wealth building. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I have a whole time. I have a hard time holding my tongue. Yeah, no, I get it. I think we all we all, all are, and that's why we're doing this finally because the finally the dam's broken. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay, okay, I want to make a quick statement because I yeah. think overarching, I think uh, this will help, right? Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that this uh, that that he writes an article specific to infinite banking, and in there, and I think this goes to your point, Buck. There's just in here a lot of you know, not understanding or misinformation or, or maybe just like really biased writing. Uh, But he says this, you're faced with a choice. You can put the money in the bank, you can invest it, or you can buy an, uh, a be your own bank, uh, infinite banking type policy. And, and so here's the irony there. What we're suggesting is not that at all. We would say you're faced with a choice, but your choice isn't to put the money in the bank or invest it or buy the policy, your choice is to put the money in the bank or you can put it in the policy and invest it. Right. Right. So there's a very key element there that's just not being hit on. And that's the fact that we want to invest and we want to have the policy. We're going to do the two in tandem to optimize it. The idea, once again, for anybody who's not clear about this, is that you can have this money grown at whatever five and a half percent compounding, whatever it is at the time, right? You get you're, you're fixed and you've got your dividends. The dividends have been paid uh, out through the Civil War, through the Great Depression, et cetera. So although they're not technically guaranteed, that's pretty guaranteed in my book. You can, you know, you can have that growth, that compounding rate growth, then you can borrow money from the general ledger of the insurance company while your money continues to grow at five and a half percent, and de- deploy that money that you're borrowing at a simple interest. So you've got a you've got a lever you've got an arbitrage of compounding versus simple interest that in and of itself is going to make you money. That is what we've been pounding over and over and over again. It's not first of all compared to the bank. It you know five and a half percent compounding is a hell of a lot better, but that's not what we're even suggesting. We're just suggesting you take your investments and juice them up. If you look at our ATM pro forma, what was the difference there? Do you remember offhand? It was crazy. Rod, do you remember that? With yeah, and without so, banking. Yeah, with what we what we added, on, even if we didn't include the depreciation, uh, on top of the investment returns that you got from the from the ATM, it was an additional $32,000 by the end of the seven years. Yeah, so $104,000 investment, uh, which which had, I think, a, you know, over seven years, a $91,000, $92,000 return goes up to like 120000 Okay, and that's real money. And all you did was allow your banking policy to help participate in this fund, right? That's all you did. The pro forma numbers, you, and so to me, that's the piece that's completely missing, right? 
You, um, if you don't even, we're talking about strategies. And that's what I don't think he either doesn't get or he doesn't want to acknowledge. That these aren't just investments either. They are strategies. So, Well, you know what happens oftentimes from my experience is that there, there is a, a lot of physicians who get, uh, who feel like they get taken because they, maybe they buy a policy from the Northwestern agent down the street who, Bad you know, idea. who's just selling the basic <laughs> stuff. And like, all of a sudden they, they look at it five years later and they're like, well, this thing's growing and now all insurance is just garbage. Right. right. When in reality, it was the, the ironic part is that it was the lack of financial sophistication early on that, that created that situation. So if, if a physician, if you're listening to this and you're wondering about where insurance fits into your world, the, the first key is to learn about it and understand the basics, right? So that you don't end up getting a policy that's not built for cash value. Because here's one of the, we actually agree on a lot of things. Um, however, like for example, we, lo- we love term insurance. We, instead of saying buy term and invest the difference, we'd say buy term and invest with wealth formula banking. Right. So there's there's some really interesting ways to do, it, but but we're not that far off. It's just that those elements that we're off on create this kind of wide gap. Right. And there's just this sort of sense that, you know, it's my way or the highway, which honestly, I don't care if that's if that's what you want to do and you want to invest like, you know, the middle class and do your little index funds and stuff like that. And fine, that's not what we do. But I think pretending that you understanding that you don't things that you don't understand and make and vilifying them and making them sound like they have no value when like, I mean, look who uses this stuff, right? I mean, look who uses the the wealthiest people in the world. These are not idiots, right? So maybe you ought to look a little deeper and maybe you don't get it. Maybe you don't get it. Anyway, um, next thing here, um, misunderstanding the value of the guarantee. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So he says, is there a value to guarantee? He says, of course, it seems especially valuable in times of high market volatility or political uncertain. However, in nearly every case, the buyer's overpaying for that guarantee. So again, this goes back to a lack of understanding specific to how the policies can be designed, right? So if you come and you work with us, he talks about in his other article how an agent getting paid commissions would get you know, 50 to a hundred percent of the, of the total premium. And, and it, what he doesn't realize and that in our case, you know, 80% of the premiums going directly to, to paid up additions to cash. So it can't be. So it's, it, again, it's this broad brush that ends up getting put over it that um, brings down the value of really every part of the insurance policy. But what I can tell you is that people um, who have been waiting for the right opportunities or saving up money to invest in particularly cash flow, real estate, things like that. Um, they're really happy when they've generated that 5% tax free return that they can move in and out of the policy. And of course that especially applies during the times when markets are so volatile. Um, but, but the important thing to remember here is that because of the way that the policies are structured, the way we do it, this um, this is totally and completely false in the sense that the cost is so low over time that you're actually probably underpaying for the guarantee, well, if anything. And, and, and to that point, the next one is about the importance of keeping insurance costs down. 
the if you look at it over a period of time, we've talked about this before, but the the cost over a period of a decade or so, what does that come out to? Yeah, so when we when we play this out again, built in the right way, the way we do it, um, let, let's say let's take a scenario where the the dividend rate, the total guaranteed interest plus the dividend that you're being paid is six percent, right? Mm-hmm. Over over the that ten years, the twenty years, uh, the life of having that policy, you're going to end up with about a five percent net return. Okay, so the cost is about one percent below whatever the the average total dividend rate was that you earned, mm-hmm. right? What does that come so, on an average basis points per year? So the, the challenge on that is the whole life is doesn't, it doesn't work the same way as universal life. When we build out these IULs that we're using, mm-hmm. those are going to be about 50 basis points. The whole life policies end up being between 50 basis points and a, and a percent in total. All right. But so generally again, speaking, we're talking about 50 basis points, um, 50 basis points up to a one. These are not, these are not outlandish. Uh, you know, I, I mean, you, you would think from the way that we're reading these things that they are somehow these crazy fees. I guarantee you, you're paying, if you've got mutual funds and stuff like that, you're paying like two or 3% on that stuff. Yeah. You know, not 50 basis. So 50 th- basis points, by the way, means a, a basis point is like one one hundredth of a uh, of a percent. So fifty basis points is a fancy way of saying half of half a percent. Anyway, go ahead. Well, so I, I think the thing to remember here is that you're paying for something that's a value, right? So it's kind of silly. I, like cost is a funny thing. If I said to you, "Hey, you've got to pay me three percent, but in return, you're going to get 10. Right. Like who cares if I pay three and I get 10, if that's like, if, so what you're doing here is if if you're, you're replacing, let's say it costs 1% for a 5% tax free money producing machine. That's completely liquid, which we're going to get into next here in a minute. So I think that's an important point. Like again, paying is kind of a silly way to look at it because you're actually dramatically increasing the return on all of the money yeah, well, these are the same. These are the same guys who look at syndication and they say, "Well, she's. I'm not going to split the returns with the with the general partner. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to invest on my own." And they're going to right, and then That's they it. they buy their own apartment building, and they you know they they don't cash flow at all, or they make very little on it. In the meantime, now we had Dave Steele on. Uh, a few weeks ago from Western Wealth Capital, and they've got, you know, uh, they've got a, a, you know, typical 70, you know, 65, 35 equity split at the end, which sounds expensive after capital return. But guess what? Investors are making an average of 30% annualized return. So if you are making that much money, why the, excuse me, why the heck do you care that, the guy who is making you that money is making money. Like why it, it, to me, it's an issue of being very sort of narrow minded and, and small, right? You just can't have a sense of abundance because you're so focused on what everybody else is making. You can't focus on the fact that, Hey, you're going to make money too. 
It's not like if that person makes money, you don't make money. They're not taking money away from you. They're making you money where you couldn't make money. And therefore, they are making money. And so a lot of these like a lot of these people in this community have this like weird sense of like I want to know what's in your pocket. I want to know and I don't want you to make that much money. Well, good luck because in this world of investing, you're not going to find people that are going to help you make money and do it efficiently, do it, you know, do it over and over again like the way guys of Western Wealth or whoever's if they're not going to get paid. You're just not going to find it. And that's where sophistication really hits the rubber. I mean, my, in, my, in my view. Amen. Um, anyway, and we're talking about 50 basis points, 50, base, 50 to 100 basis points. And anyway, whatever. All right. Um, next one. Misunderstanding the importance of keeping investment costs down. Same thing. Right. Same thing. He just hits this one over yeah. and over again in three different ways. And uh, again, he's so worried that somebody else is going to get paid uh, that, you know, it's 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 worth three points. Uh, um, now. And sorry, just one, yeah. one last comment on that is, it, it, again, it's confusing the, the whole purpose behind the policy. Right. Right. Just, just to make it perfectly clear, if, if you haven't gotten that message already, we're not saying that the insurance policy should be your investment. Yeah, the, the insurance policy is a vehicle that we use to enhance your investing. It's a strategy. It's 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 a way to enhance stuff. That's the way we look at it. Yep. All right. Uh, the last point: misunderstanding the value of liquidity. And I I just don't understand. <laughs> I don't get this one okay, at all. So because I can tell you why this comes up. I, right. I know exactly. So the reason this comes up is because he's talking again about the traditional policy that you get from New York life or Northwestern. Um, I probably shouldn't say the actual names of companies, but Oh, well, we're just letting it out. <laughs> uh, but, but that's the problem, right? Like right. if, if that's, if that's the case, you will have a lack of liquidity early on to some extent right now, when we build these policies, this concept is completely flipped backwards. What we do is we create the maximum capacity and the maximum amount of liquidity because the whole idea behind this for us is to invest the policies. Whereas again, he's saying don't use this, this life insurance as an investment on that. We actually agree. Right. But, but the problem again becomes that now you're just painting this blanket over everything when in reality, you know, he's, he's leading people to miss out on a lot of the key benefits that really would help them, you know, jump from high income to high net worth. Yeah. And, and I, I, I don't know if I even agree with you on that, where you're saying that, you know, there, these products can't be an investment. I mean, I think the velocity plus leveraged IULs are a great, great example of that, right? If you want to have exposure to the S and P 500, do it and then lever it up. That, yeah. I mean, and have guardrails on it. So you can't lose, you know, you, you can't lose more than the interest that you're paying and the debt to me, that's an investment uh, and, and I think it has, you know, tremendous value. The other thing is in terms of, um, uh, in terms of whole life, the funny thing is with the banking policy that I view that is a great way to, to actually keep liquidity. So it's, it's quite the opposite. 
Right. I mean, for me, like we were talking about this uh, last, uh, you know, uh, on an Ask Buck show recently where someone said, well, you know, uh, should I lever up and refi my house and, you know, take the equity out and, you know, invest it and that kind of thing. And, you know, the answer to that was, well, it sort of depends. The math would suggest, yes, you should, because you're going to do better on your returns than the mm -hmm. mortgage, but there's a psychological component to that as well. So one thing that we've talked about in Wealth Formula Network, one um, approach to that has been, well, how about instead of leaving that equity in the house as debt equity that you're not going to invest, that makes you a massive target to creditors and to bank foreclosure, because you'll have a lot of equity means more likely to foreclosure. Why not take that equity and put it somewhere else like a wealth formula bank policy and grow that separately at like, you know, five and a half, six percent compounding and have that as a source of liquidity that can't, you know, that that's sort of separate from your house. So the irony of it to me is that like we look at it as a source of liquidity for investing or a source of liquidity for, you know, where where real estate investors generally don't keep a lot of liquidity. It's so it's, in, in that regard, it's quite the opposite. And I again, I'm just scratching my head wondering, you know, what what the uh, confusion is. Well, so here again, it comes with, uh, it comes when you take a bad experience, it just like gets portrayed on everybody. And it feels to me like, like this author is, has, has had a bad experience, took a, took a stance on it and just has never been well. Now I will say this over time, I've seen some lightening up on this. It used to be really, really hard. <laughs> this sounds, I, I'm laughing cause it's pretty bad now. Right. But, but. Um, it's gotten a little softer over time, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I do agree with you, Buck. Like, that's a great point. Um, we absolutely believe that Velocity Plus is the most powerful income-producing retirement vehicle that exists. So I won't say – what I will say is that we generally don't suggest that you buy uh, like an IUL and you just sit there and use the – generally speaking, we want to take that cash and have it out there and some alternative investments. However, you made another good point, and that is just that for the right people at the right times, having your money sitting in the policy earning a 5% tax-free return – is not a bad place to have it sitting. And so even if you only did that, you'd be better off at least half of the time than you would in well, going into mutual funds. the way funds. I see it is that it's a good place for quote unquote safe money. I mean, I mean, listen, you could, you could put money into, um, you know, maybe, maybe you put it into treasuries or something and well, what's the yield on treasuries? Hmm. I mean, <laughs> right. not good. Yeah. Just doing comparisons, Right. right? Or if yeah, you want to have if you want to have liquidity sitting around, you know, if you have liquidity, which makes a lot of sense to have some liquidity. I I used to like keep like you know dangerously level low levels of liquidity, and I'm kind of done with that. But you know, um, but having liquidity is a good thing. I just think that when you do, you got to start to figure out where you're going to put it. And for me, banking really makes a lot of sense is a place to let that liquidity grow and, um, you know, and, and instead of like having it in something like, you know, treasuries and getting like no return at all. I mean, these are strong companies, right? It's not like, it's not like, um, 
you know, you know, your life insurance, dividends and guarantees and stuff are not, are not exactly unsafe. So 180 years of, right. Of, you know, the longest standing companies in the world. Right. Uh, anything else to add fellas? I think you nailed it. It's good. Yeah. Sounds good guys. All right. Well, with that, I want to thank you for being on the show again, uh, Rod and Christian. And if you want to learn more about Wealth Formula Banking, Velocity Plus, and some of the high net worth stuff um, that uh, that is out there, you know, premium finance, IULs, things like that, uh, go to wealthformulabanking.com and, uh, you know, watch those webinars. But that's also where you can get in touch with Rod and Christian. Guys, anything else uh, to close it out? No, thank you for having us, Buck. We always enjoy the we enjoy the ride with you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that show. And of course, if you are interested, I would highly recommend uh, reaching out to Rod and Christian. Go to wealthformulabanking.com. You can watch some webinars on this stuff again. And listen, if you decide it's not for you, then great. That's fine. But what drives me personally absolutely bananas is a lot of misinformation, a lot of people not knowing what they're talking about, and you know, uh, you know, blindly following the advice of those people because I don't think it's good advice. I don't think it's I don't think it's really um, sophisticated advice, in my my opinion. So learn about it. You know, talk to Rod and Christian. Um, you know, have them write up some stuff. And if you don't want to do, if you don't want to do it, don't do it, but at least understand it, understand it because, you know, that's the name of the game. That's why you're listening to this podcast. You want to understand what all these concepts are. Some of them are going to be for you. Some of them are not. At any rate, that's where you start with any personal financial plan. And, uh, anyway, that is it for me this week. And for the first episode of the year for well formula podcast, this is Buck Joffrey. Happy new year. Signing up. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com.